Welcome to The Range Brief with Blackwing. I am your host, Mark Gore, and this week we have Jed McLean, our machine gun guru, and you might remember him from our other podcast. He's a guru of many things, hunting podcast, USPSA, clone rifles. So Jed's a, a probably our most expert of knowledgeable experts here at the shop. Jed, I think we've introduced you a few times before, but what, do you, what are we talking about today? Mark, today we are going to discuss one of my favorite topics of uh, just general discussion and, and fun knowledge, machine guns. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people know what that is. Most people have heard the word, but what is a machine gun? What makes What's the actual definition and what makes that different from your average gun? A machine gun is going to be a firearm with the capability of select fire. Uh, whether that is full auto or burst, it won't be your standard semi-automatic. Awesome. Yeah. So semi-auto, every trigger pull, the gun shoots once. This one trigger pull, the gun keeps shooting until you're out of ammo or you let go. Right. One of the right. two. Uh, awesome. Okay. And it, what's interesting is there's also binary triggers out there, which kind of look like a a legal way to make a semi-auto more like a full auto. Yeah, really interesting concept with those. For any of our listeners out there that are familiar with the release triggers of shotguns, it kind of falls off that same principle. So whereas with the binaries, you're going to get one round when you pull the trigger. And if it's in binary mode, you will then get a second round on release of the trigger. The reason they don't fall under as a full auto or a burst pack is, again, you know, with a burst, you get one pull. And it's going to fire those two or three rounds in succession. And then when you release it, it'll rearm itself and you can go for the next one. A full auto, you got it set to auto, you squeeze yep. that trigger to the back. She's going to run until you let her go. Uh, binaries, one round on pull, one round on release. Yeah, kind of a smart way for whoever came up with the idea because it's, yeah, it's the technical definition is per is it trigger motion or per trigger these activations, it's, it's how they have it. It's yeah. like per activation of the trigger can it's, only go one round. So they, it gets them around, you know, I don't want to say it's a loophole because it's not. I mean, release triggers have done it for years. You, you yeah. crack it back to arm it. And then the shooter, as they're following the clay, would release. So yep. they just applied that. A pull and a release yeah. and pull. So if you, you just repeatedly pull the trigger on a binary, it's going to shoot twice as fast as a semi-auto would. Yep. Because it's shooting on pull, shooting on release. Well, kind of cool. But our focus is not that. We are talking about machine guns. Give us a quick history lesson on our machine guns legal. When did they become questionably legal? What's legal? Ta- tell us about this, Jed. So machine guns have always been legal. There's a misconception that NFA items are illegal, whether it's suppressors, SBRs, yeah. machine guns, what have you. And it's not that they've ever necessarily been made illegal. There's been restrictions applied to them. Mm-hmm. In 1934, we had the NFA Act that came into place. Prior to 34, if you want to buy a machine gun, you order it through the local hardware store back in the day, you yeah. know, and, and pick up your Thompson. And so in 34, with the enact with the activation of the NFA, it created that registry for NFA items, mm-hmm. and it required a $200 tax stamp for possession. Um, you know, that $200 tax stamp still applies today, 
but two hundred dollars today versus two hundred dollars in nineteen thirty four is is yeah, very different. Amounts. Yeah, yeah, we're we're rivers apart of each other. Yeah, uh, for what that would cost you. And uh, so, you know, between, you know, 1934 and on into the 80s, uh, machine guns were legal to purchase, uh, legal to have. There was just some paperwork trail behind them and a tax stamp involved. And then in 1984, I believe, is when they started with the Hughes Amendment for FOPA. Yep. It enacted in 86. Oh, but I believe, okay, I believe the initial bit started in 84, if sure. I'm remembering right. But what that did is it started in May of 1986. No new machine guns could be manufactured for civilian ownership. Law enforcement agencies, military can absolutely have new machine guns. Uh, in some circumstances, dealers uh, with a proper licensing can have or make new machine guns. Sure. But as far as general civilian ownership, whether that's as an individual, a trust, or an LLC, um, we are restricted to the ownership of machine guns made prior to May of 1986. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, that, that went into effect in, in May of '86. So all machine guns that existed and were registered as of that date, those are the that's the pile we can still play in. Yes, yeah. civilians, me and you, legally, legally, legally that's yes. that's our uh, our card deck to draw from. Okay, and then that that amendment that only applied to machine guns, right? Not suppressors. That's why you can still own new suppressors, right? Uh, suppressors, short barreled rifles, short barreled shotguns, um, AOWs, the the any other weapons, destructive devices didn't fall under that. So it's it's just targeted machine guns, strangely, with how they did that. Sure, but uh, yeah, no, you can you can still form one uh, an SBR. You can buy a factory SBR on a form four from a dealer. Uh, same that you can with short barreled shotgun or a, a silencer. Awesome, yeah, good uh, little history lesson there. And uh, on the that side of things, Jed talked about the, the dealers, manufacturers, or certain dealers, which are manufacturers are able to create new machine guns now or own new machine guns now. Same with law enforcement and military. So that's why you might see ranges or law enforcement with new manufacturer machine guns, but that, you know, a FN SCAR or a HK MP7, you and I will never be able to own because that gun didn't exist before 1986. But so the only way you're going to see it out there is in a, in a way that a manufacturer or a police department or someone else can own. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to kind of ignore those guns for now because most of us can't play in that world. We're going to talk about the fun, the ones we can own, the pre-86s. And before we get into what those guns are and talk about our favorite guns, which is going to be the best part of this whole thing, I think, (laughs) talk a little bit about what's the process look like to buy a machine gun as a civilian. The process is nearly identical to purchasing a silencer or an SBR or an SBS or an AOW. The biggest difference is the cost. Machine guns cost quite a bit more um, than any of your silencers. Uh, most short barrel rifles or short barrel shotguns will. But it is still it's still the same NFA process. It's you know filling out a form four with the dealer and working with them paying the $200 tax stamp for transfer of the item, submitting your fingerprints and your passport photos. Yep. And then that glorious uh, nine-month average wait, give yeah. or take, for the yep. ATF to christen you and send you on your way with your new toy. Absolutely. And we did a little looking before the episode, and we found that there are 
in the U.S. The most recent number, 750,000 legal machine guns in the United States, but only 176,000 of them are pre-86 civilian-owned guns. So that's your pool, 176,000 guns maximum. I'm sure some of those have been destroyed or through inheritance, something's gone wrong, gotten lost or misplaced, uh, you know, hopefully not. But uh, that, think, that's kind of the major, major pool. Or even think about turn-ins. Like every once yeah. in a while, you know, you know, some of our listeners might not pay attention to these, but we'll see the stories where, you know, the little old lady, her, her husband was at Vietnam vet. And mm-hmm. He passed and she goes upstairs and is cleaning the stuff out and finds a 1928 Thompson submachine yeah. gun that yep. she had no idea he had and, you know, <laughs> turns it into the sheriff's department. You know, you'll see, you see little stories like, that. you know, it's almost like the barn fine Harleys and Indians that yeah. you hear about or Mustangs and Absolutely. You know, the same thing applies out there to to some of these machine guns. You know, uh, it's shocking to me that some husbands don't tell their wives about their purchases. (laughs) I see you winking over there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And the hard part about that is it's, it can be a scary process. If you're not a gun person and you find in an estate that is, you know, that you're working on, there is a machine gun and you don't know if it's registered, it's, Pretty scary because technically that's illegal for you have illegal possession of a machine gun right then. You know, that is the truth. The ATF has some gray area where the, where they will work with you, but you know, I could, I'm certain that the number of, of freaked out people we've had contact us in that situation who, you know, we, we got through the legal route. I'm sure there's plenty that get there and are just like, I'm not telling anyone I'm destroying this thing and we're going to pretend like it never happened because I don't know anything about it. And it might be, a perfectly good registered machine gun that's worth $50,000, but they don't want to take the risk, which is, you know, somewhat understandable if you don't know what you're working in. Oh yeah. I mean, especially, yeah. I mean, coming into that, no, no idea that they had it Yeah. or, you know, all they had this thing, but you know, I I don't know if it's legal because they were always shadowy about, you know, that, yeah, no one, no one wants the ATF knocking on your door. (laughs) Yeah. And then you have some, someone's friend come over and like, Oh, that's a machine gun. You need to get rid of that. You know, anyway. So, so that's the, that's the limited supply. It sounds like a lot, but we were thinking, you know, kind of at any one time, if we look at there's, there's a few big dealers of machine guns. And then there's a lot of shops like ours, you know, at any one time we might have no machine guns. We might have one at max. We might have three for sale. The bigger shops will have the big common dealers might have, 20 to 50 at a time. So if you know if you look out there right now for these pre-86 guns, there might only be a couple hundred for sale at any one time, which is really not a lot of guns. You know, if you want something that's not super common, you might have to wait years for one to pop up, which is is kind of wild. So it's a, it's a different market with this limited supply that we have. So, so looking at machine guns Walk us through the different types of how a gun can be registered, because that'll be important before we get into the what guns are out there conversation. Yeah, so you can have full factory machine guns. Um, you know, you'll commonly see that in stuff like the MP40s or MP44s, the war trophy machine guns that guys brought back from you know World War II or Korea, and then registered legally and kind of went that route. Um, 
Thompsons are extremely common to be full yeah. factory registered machine guns. Mm-hmm. Um, M16s you'll sometimes see that with. Rarely will you see it with MP5s though. So you will have you know full on factory made machine guns prior to May '86 that are legal for civilian ownership. Then you'll see what a lot will be conversions, and conversions could be registered receivers where they they took the receiver, registered a machine gun, and then afterwards figured out and worked around to make it automatic. You can get into packs or sears. Um, sears, you'll see stuff like the lightning links for M16s that can drop in. You know, that one little part is what's registered as the machine gun. And then from there, it can be dropped into several different firearms. Um MP5s or HK style guns that have the auto packs. Uh, it's it's the trigger mechanism itself is registered as one. And sometimes, depending on how those are done, that gives you the capability to not only put it in in just one gun or even just one caliber, and give you a little bit of playroom with it. You know, you buy one as an MP5, and then you could put it into a 91 and have a 308 machine gun, or yeah. put it into a belt fed kit or whatnot. And it, and it gives you some room to play with. And what's the, so what's the benefit of registering or having the gun registered as a machine gun as the gun versus one of these parts you're talking about? Usually because of the rarity of a full factory gun being done that way, in most cases, they'll hold a little more value. So from the investment side of things, your money's a little better in that. From the enjoyment side, though, you know, if you're wanting to get into something and, you know, these these aren't small investments, you know, cheap machine guns are around 10000 Really good machine guns, depending on the style of it, can be easily into the $50,000, $60,000 range and then more depending on the rarity of it. Yeah. So when you make this investment, if you're doing it from that standpoint to also have something that, hey, I, I want something that that is shown a continuing growth track. My money's in a well bit, but I want to be able to play with it too. Mm-hmm. Um, something like the registered packs or the registered Sears are going to be fantastic for that because you're you're buying one item with multiple possibilities for what you can and can't do with one. Sure. Uh, whether that's caliber conversions, upgrades, you know, the 16 platform, uh, M4, M16 platform is fantastic. You can change uppers and by changing the uppers, you can change into different calibers and, and options and barrel lengths and stock styles. So you get a really nice playground to mess around with yeah. and have some enjoyment out of versus if you buy a Thompson 1928A1 or an M1A1 submachine gun, that's what it is. Yeah. Now, another benefit with the registered packs or sears is if you know you put this you put this machine gun together you're rocking and rolling somebody accidentally slips a 300 blackout round into your 556 five, yeah and you crack a bolt mm-hmm. or you you know you're doing it through an ak and you blow the trunnion yeah you know with that registered part that can come out and go into a new host firearm yep just scrap the whole gun S- scrap the one that's damaged yep. uh, you know as long as that sear or pack is still you know it's not damaged there's nothing wrong with the markings to it there's no structural integrity issues if you damage whatever the host is cool toss the host and go on to the next one and yeah. it gives you a little little uh, protection there we'll say yeah whereas if you do that you know if if you have a registered receiver like an M16 in most cases will be you split the receiver you better find someone that can weld aluminum really well yeah, because yep. now you're going to have a real weld machine gun. The value's gone out of it. But, you know, if you toast that registered part, 
your SOL. I mean, there's there's not very many things, if anything, that you can legally do to try to save those. Um, but welds, welds isn't something that we see very often anymore. I rarely do I see transferable rewelds. Yep. So either people aren't shooting them very much, or people just know that there's not much value to them. And if if they get to that point, they just know they're holding on to it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of intricacy in this conversation, and for the sake of focusing on the more interesting stuff, we're going to stay out of the weeds of of that. But that is that's like super high level. There's a lot on like how the gun was registered, how the pack was built and registered and how many, what holes it has in it. So you can do certain things and what kind of selectors you can put in it. And it, are things married and not married? And there's just like the, the MP5. So much. It's just, yeah, there's, there's articles. I mean, there's, there has to be hundreds of pages of the stuff that you can mm-hmm. get through in the rabbit hole that you can go down. And, and it's that's like just on like HK, HK machine guns yeah. and how they're registered. <laughs> Not even like how they work, just about like how their registration is yeah. the, the process for it. Yeah. And then whether, you know, what is the host that they're using? Yeah. What is the sear style? Like you were saying, mm-hmm. what is the pack? Is it clipped? Is it unclipped? Is it a true two position? Yeah. Uh, is it a true two pin pack? You know, was it, is it a reverse stretch? Yeah. You know, and can, yeah, is, is it, it a true K? Is it a reverse stretch? Can yeah. I pull this pack and roll with it? Does it have the roller sear? Does it have a friction sear? Was it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The, the, the rabbit hole that you can get down with that one gun series is enough to like, Oh man. Yeah. I'm in over my, <laughs> <laughs> that's when you need a good like gunsmith or someone who really knows what they're doing. If you're starting to, to take say, Hey, I got this machine gun and I want to start doing some different things. Cause there's, I mean, as Chad talked about, there's a lot of things you can do with different platforms, but you just need to know, yeah, what's legal, what can be done and how it needs to be tuned to be changed. You know, if you change calibers, you pretty much always need to do something else to the gun, depending on what you got. So a lot there, but now we're going to get into the gun section. So what what are the popular guns that you see out there the the most commonly like what are what are the staples I would say that our big 4 are going to be the M16A4 series mm-hmm. um anything HK yep Thompson subgun series and the Mac Uzi series of guns I think like you got the big 4 of heavy metal those are the big 4 of the machine guns awesome yeah and that's like at any one time you can go out there and you could find at minimum like 10 of those guns, probably more for sale to, to shop. And there's, again, in each one of those, there's different variants and some are worth more than others for certain reasons. Um, that's kind of, that's a good rundown. And what price range are we looking looking at for those on average? Your M16s on average, I in, in the current market, I would say we're probably going to be a good solid one, at least 25,000, mm-hmm. depending on if it's like a true factory original cold M16A1 or a cold M4 commando. Sure. Those can easily stretch into that 50, 60 range. HKs right now, probably minimum 45,000. Yeah. Uh, when you get into K models or burst packs and and that whole rabbit hole that 45 can quickly turn into sixty thousand dollars depending on how it's set up who did the rebuilds who did the kits what host gun it has 
Thompson's usually, you know, a really nice working Thompson, whether it's a 27, 28, 21, those are going to hover in that $20,000, $25,000 range. Yep. You get into some really unique stuff like an original 1921 cold in immaculate condition can quickly get up in that 40 plus range. Yeah. The most, of, we'll say most affordable to get into as far as the big four is going to be the Mac and the Uzis. Your Macs, depending on whether it's an M10 or an M11, M11A1, uh, are going to run you right in that $13,000 range. And then Uzis are going to be in that fifteen to twenty five thousand. Again, we're getting into: is it a micro? Is it a mini? Is it a group industries? Is it original? Does it have kits? Does it have parts? Registered receiver, registered bolt. Yeah, rabbit hole again. Absolutely, and that yeah, that's what we see a lot of times. Someone wants to get into the machine gun game, as you mentioned, the the Max or the Uzis is where a lot of people start because they're typically nine millimeter. For for a lot of those, there is some versatility you can you can use with some conversion kits and then they're, they're not cheap by any means, but they're the cheapest of the not cheapest, the cheapest of the common ones, I guess. I was, I would even take it to, they're the cheapest of reliable machine. There guns. we go. That's a good way to put it. Of, yeah. of firearms that of, of a firearm machine gun that you can actually use and get parts for, and get parts and for and, or yeah. change. Or, you know, if you want a mod or maybe looking to go in a different direction with mm-hmm. it and changing up kits or, you know, with the max lage is huge business in the Mac world for yeah. the uppers and slow and, you know, reducing cyclic rate kits and uppers and stuff that he makes for him to make them a little more manageable to shoot sure but the reliability's there the the guns are tough to break and if you do in most cases what you would wear out is a replaceable part that wouldn't get you in trouble with the atf for fixing yeah yep that's that's great uh on the less common side i know sometimes we see like the tube guns and sometimes that's another way people get in because those can be eight to twelve thousand like uh the Stens, the Sterlings, those kinds of guns. Yeah, the Paws and, and yeah. you know, those basically three-quarter inch pieces of pipe that fire nine millimeter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they're they're uh, they're fun guns. Yeah, nine millimeter, so cheaper than five five six guns. Uh, and they, they typically run pretty well, and there's some apart, part availability, but there's also, I feel like, a lot of different people that made those guns, and there is some variety and some mag tuning that has to be done to get them to run well. Absolutely. But you know, it's, there's some, they're very simple. The simplicity's there. There's not a whole lot you can break. Yeah. So that, that gives a little perk, but you know, you lose that iconic look, you know, for like the eighties, I think of the eighties and machine guns, Uzis and, and Max, or, you know, you think the Roaring Twenties and Prohibition, the Thompson comes to mind, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know of a, a SWAT or special operations picture that doesn't have at least one MP5 in yep. it or at least one variant of a 16. So, you know, the le- you know the, the less common ones like the Stens and the Sterlings, the Paws, you, you lose that cool factor. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, it's a really fun gun to shoot. Yeah. Absolutely. It's it's a preference thing. Other less common ones that we see somewhat often are mini 14s. Some of them when you see a decent amount or call them AC 556s, some AKs, some 22s. You'll see some belt fed guns, big old Ma Deuce 50, 
Belt fed. Mall dues, the 1919s yeah. are out there. As far as like U.S. belt feds, the most common to be out there that I've ever seen is the M60 series. Yeah. There are supposedly some 240 Bravos out there, and I've heard rumors of like one or two 249s. Yeah. I know I've seen, I can think of one 240 in the years that I've been doing this that was like legitimately up, but like M60s, yeah. I've, I've see a couple m60s a year come up Mm -hmm. so always an option a lot of cool world wars ii stuff though yeah you know those those bring back guns that those guys brought Mm -hmm. Um, really cool stuff out there that's probably how a lot of that got over here because you'll see some yeah you know japanese machine guns or british machine guns and that's probably yeah a decent funnel of of how that stuff came back bring backs just different, different era, just different era, man. <laughs> just, yeah. Hey, box up that Lewis gun for me, and I'll pay the postage home. Like, yeah. okay, yeah. <laughs> you know? Or like, you're gonna put, register it, right? Yeah. Sure. Put it in a few different, <laughs> few, few different parts, and shipped it back, and took it in a few different briefcases or something. You know, uh, what was that one? The Scormgiver were the the first assault rifle. You know, and what like, yeah. it's like seven nine two crews or something like that, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few of those that are out there that, that guys brought back and, yeah. you know, somewhere between 45 when they came home with it and 86, you know, they did their smart thing and got it yeah. registered. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about your favorite machine gun or favorites. Man, that is, I am, I'm such, I'm so involved into this industry and I have such a love for it and yeah. just an overall appreciation. That's hard. Yeah. I can like, but I can tell you what, what in the back of my gray matter, like those core memories, we'll call it mm-hmm. the micro Uzi. Okay. And the MP5K. Okay. MP5. The, I knew that was going to be on your list. Yeah. The, the, the machine pistols, man. Yeah. There is something about a really tiny, incredibly, fast cyclic rate nine millimeter sure. machine gun you know uh the the micro the mini and the mp5k the cyclic rates are nuts yeah. i mean they're i if i think that the mini that we shot was 1300 rounds a minute mm-hmm. which is insane yeah. i mean you're you're firing you know a 32 round magazine the 32nd round is firing before the first piece of brass has hit the ground yeah it's just insane and i mean there's a there's a joy that comes with that <laughs> and it, like an excitement and a squeal that you get. It's like <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> there went fifty dollars in ammunition and yep. two magazines, you know. Yeah. So f- for me, those are up there, and I, and I've sh- I've shot a lot. I've shot some really cool stuff uh, from you know Thompsons and sixteens and and you know two forties and two forty nines and M sixties. I've I've had you know, a, a really great blessing to be able to shoot all kinds of really cool machine guns, but those micro mini yeah. machine pistols, just, I got a soft spot for them. There's just something about having that, that little tiny guy and it just, <laughs> and then the magazine's empty. Yeah. There's something about, I feel like a MP5K on a single point sling just like, just looks right. I'll get your, get your Charlie Sheen Navy seal on and just like, there we go. Get yeah. the old pull push method out, yep. you know, watching those guys do those with SDs in that movie. And it was a real technique that they did. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, it's, it's those, those to me like ring true. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Macs are cool. Don't get me wrong. I think Macs are cool, but I, 
I don't think I would have the appreciation I do today for Max if it wasn't for a company like Lage who made the uppers and made that gun far more controllable. Yeah. And so for Jed's talk about that a little bit, that is basically um, uppers on the, on that you can slap on that gun yep. to change the caliber and yeah, to change the, the rate of fire on the gun to make it more manageable. And they, they kind of do a lot of things so you can make that, gun that's typically not super comfortable to shoot into uh, having a lot of versatility and making it, you know, pretty fun and, and uh, a good time to go out and try out some different calibers. Yeah. Something you're not afraid to hand to somebody that's never shot a machine gun before. Yeah. yeah that is and the hard thing with these tiny machine guns is, is the rise shooting the ceiling or shooting over the berm. Yeah. If you're, if you don't know how to control it. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that, you know, oh, it's just a nine mil. How much could it recoil? Yeah. When, like I said, when that thing and that cyclic rate takes off and, mm-hmm. and you commit to it, that's a lot of rounds really fast. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not 12 gauge slug recoil by any means, but the impulse is different. Like you said, with that rise, if, if you don't know what you're getting into it and have mm-hmm. a good stance, you can quickly send one up in the ceiling or start lobbing over top yeah. of your berm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, you know, weight versus recoil and it's a lot more about the weight than it is about the amount of recoil you know the glock 17 full auto or i guess it's a glock 33 18 glock 18, 18. Full, yeah yeah close. the true factory one was the 18 okay that is the like worst gun to shoot because it's like you're shooting all the way up at 12 o'clock before you can even know what you're doing so some of those guns are just so light so small hard to control versus yeah a a belt fed or something else like that, where you've got a ton of weight on it. It's actually not near as bad as you would think. Yeah. And I, I think video games are kind of to blame for that. Yeah. Because you know, modern warfare two running around a Kimbo with 18 C <laughs> clear in the map. You're like, Oh man, this is the greatest the gun doesn't even move. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It hardly moves. And then you shoot one in real life and it's like, this thing should have a stock in a 16 inch barrel. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this is obnoxious. Yeah. You need like a forward <laughs> grip, a stock, uh, maybe a suppressor to help keep it, <laughs> keep it down. Yeah. I am. I'm with you on that. Okay. Let's talk about some cool guns. What are the coolest machine guns? So I'll start here. I think one of the coolest guns I've seen lately is a gun that's actually currently for sale. And it is a Pearl UC nine. And if you've seen RoboCop two, it is the boombox gun from that where it's like, kind of like looks like a briefcase and then the, it folds out and this particular one that is up for sale is they painted it snap on red and they put a snap on sticker on it, which is just like the coolest looking like random machine gun thing. Like a lot of these, as we know, they're, they're pre 86, but this is, they've, they've done this one up in a, in such a way that you're like, man, that looks like someone just made that thing. Right. And it costs almost as much as the snap-on truck does. Yeah, it's absurdly like, expensive. It's, it's just, they, they picked the right brand. Like if they'd they done did, Milwaukee 100%. or DeWalt with it, it wouldn't yeah. have worked, but you know, yep. or Craftsman, but snap-on yeah. uh, for, for what they're asking for that. $33,000. Really, really cool little gun though. And you know, there's the, the Mark I solenoid gun, the little briefcase automatic yeah. uh, Ruger that's out there uh that was a cool one just saw the other day yeah, like really really didn't cool even know that existed the briefcase is what's registered as the machine gun mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know there were some people that were really smart with some of this stuff and and kind of head of the curve on it 
you know, when I think of the briefcase guns, I think of like the, that MP5K and yep. the German briefcase that it had. Yep. And like you, you know, the trigger was in the handle and you turned it sideways and sprayed yeah. 30 rounds. And then, you know, it had two quick disconnect tabs that you could pop. The gun would fold out. There'd be a spare mag. You'd be able to reach in and grab it. You know, mm-hmm. the, the idea was, you know, secret service or protection details walking around with it. And it's like, man, you're only going to get to use that once. Cause every criminal in the world is going to be like, you'll never believe they shot a briefcase <laughs> at us. Yep. You know, so, you know, really cool stuff like that's out there. Um, again, you know, that, that, that machine pistol guy that's in me that loves that stuff. Sure. I think it's stuff like the 93R uh, Rafika Beretta, the yeah. three round burst Beretta. It's like a Beretta 92 or the M9 yeah. series, but it's got, it's got the carry handle in the front. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Like it, it looks like it would be the activation lever, but it's actually not. It's actually a forward gripping carry mm-hmm. handle to put some weight behind it. They made a stock option for it. There's some full auto Browning high powers that are out there. Yep. I've heard rumors of 1911s, but it's one of those things like, I, was it a true legal bit? Like, yeah. if I remember right, Dillinger had one in 38 Super that mm-hmm. a gunsmith made for him and like they, they welded a mag, but it's in a museum. So whether like yeah. there's exemptions for some of that stuff that's out there. So I don't know if that's actually like a transferable one and they just sure. want to come off with it. You know, there's just, there's some wild ones out there. Yeah. You know, some, there's some 1022s that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any open bolts, but you know, the, the post sample open bolts that I've shot are, they're insanely fast. Yeah. It's unreal how quick they'll roll. The, another cool one, I guess it's not as wildly cool as some of these briefcase ones, but AK crinks. So it's like a short AK in full auto is a lot of fun. There's just not a, like you don't see the AK full auto super often. And then seeing a crink is pretty fun. Um, and the, the RPD, I feel like I've seen one of those before. Their belt fed AK ish looking full auto is, is pretty neat too. You know, there's just, it's a shame. There's so many things that we can't have past 86. Yeah. Yeah. The augs, the aug had a big comeback in the last 10 years, you know, with Steyr redoing them and Microtech no longer touching them. Uh, so there's, there are some pre 86 Steyrs that are out there. So, you know, I mean, really, like if you watch any movie like made, you know, mid 80s or or earlier, like if there's a machine gun in that, there's a good chance that there's there's some of those floating around. Yeah. Like Arnold and his Velmet M70s and stuff from Mm -hmm. like it was Commando, you know, uh, we we've seen those come through or, or pop up out there. The M60 from Full Metal Jacket. The okay. movie was a real transferable gun. OGCA years ago actually had that gun. The guy that owned it had it at OGCA trying to sell it. Okay. And it had all the movie paperwork and stuff to it. And, and you know, the pedigree and the history. So, sure. I mean, there's, you know, back in the day they used, they used real machine guns for the movies. Yeah. You know, some of them made it out into the world afterwards. Mm-hmm. We actually sold a machine gun to the guy that had, you know, the Velmet from Commando that Arnold Schwarzenegger had and had, yeah, you know, all the paperwork and everything to it and sent us pictures, which was cool. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's some history there, you know, a little bit of a culture as well. Yep. Some really cool stuff, uh, you know, machine pistol wise, the briefcase guns are wild. Um, you know, some really strange belt feds and stuff that are out there. Yeah. And I, it's kind of getting neat because, I don't, I'm not aware of, there's no list that we have access to that tells you what all guns are out there. So like sometimes something will pop up that someone will come across, will come across in the machine gun world. 
And you're just like, oh man, I didn't even know that that was an option for us to own. Like I didn't know either. I thought that gun would have been outside the window, the pre-86 window, or I didn't know that anyone had those and registered them, that there would be one out there. So it's kind of fun to see that too. Just like a random unicorn pop up. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So the last bit here, let's talk about, say you listen to this podcast and you think, man, I want to get into machine guns. So, you know, how do we do this? And the first part of that would be figuring out your budget, what you want to, what you want to buy, what you can afford to buy these guns. Typically you either pay for up front or like most, uh, best case scenario for you, you pay half up front and half when the approval is done. But I would say expect to pay for everything up front. And then once you have that number, you know, how do we go about finding those machine guns? How do we figure out if we've got a fair price? We kind of talked about what the different options are in these different ranges, but uh, what maintenance would that look like? So I guess just starting there, yeah, how do you look for a machine gun and figure out what it's worth? Well, you know, my recommendation, of course, would be to, to contact us at Blackwing Shooting Absolutely. Center, uh, and we will happily work with you and uh, get you through the process. Uh, we have a program for that. Yep. Um, and we partnered recently with a big, large machine gun dealer who uh, who we can work with, too, to give you a lot more options than the, at, as of this podcast, we have one for sale and one soon to be for sale. So, you know, that's not a lot of variety. But we can we can show you a lot more options in that, and then obviously looking online, you can find some different things too to to see what's out there. Yeah, there's a lot of great articles out there, and I mean, if if uh, you know any of our listeners out there are like, man, I kind of want to do my own thing first, I want to see what I can learn. Yeah, you know, I, even simple Google searches, you know, HK machine gun transferable ownership. Yeah, and then start down the rabbit <laughs> hole, and, and away you'll go. You know, there's there's some fantastic articles out there. Um, that uh, people within our industry have written over the last 20 years talking about them, um, you know, and then from there it's, it's kind of researching, you know, it's, it's, I want an M16 and I know I want an M16. I don't, I want something that functions. I don't really care whether or not it's a true cold or if it's an SP one conversion or what have you. Yeah. And then from there it's, you know, bouncing around, you know, Colt machine gun for sale and start looking, Yeah. you know, all right, well, this one went for that, this one went for 20, this one 25, you know, make a couple scribble notes. And it kind of gives you an idea. Um, you know, there's always gun broker. You always run through a dealer like us. We, you know, we have a fantastic network uh, to work within with other shops uh, yeah. and some guys that specialize in this and can definitely get you in the right way. But I'm sure there's there's somebody out there in listener land that uh, wants to be able to say, I did it all on my own and yeah. I did it right. And there's yep. nothing wrong with that. There's There's some great resources out there on the internet. Absolutely. Yeah. A machine gun price guide is one that's really good that we use for looking at like what stuff's worth. And again, we've talked about all the different variances, so it's not perfect by any means, but it gets you in the right ballpark. If you're, you're thinking, well, I, I'm looking at an Uzi versus a Mac and let me see roughly what that would, what that would cost me. That's a good place to look, to get an idea for what some of these different guns are besides the standards that we've talked about. That can be a useful resource. So once you find the gun, you do the paperwork, we talked about similar to suppressors, you get the gun in your hands. Also, I think really important to find someone before you need them, but find a gunsmith who 
can work on your particular platform and kind of have that person picked out and find them that you can use, whether it's someone local or someone you send the gun to, but someone with experience, because more than likely, if you do shoot the gun, you're going to need some kind of work. You know, when you're shooting full auto, you're shooting a lot of rounds quickly. Guns get dirty fast. They're more likely to break parts. They get a lot more wear on them. And your gun's worth a heck of a lot more than the semi-auto version. Absolutely. So there's a lot more things that can be done to it and still be worthwhile. And if something breaks on it, it's basically always worth it to fix it, even if it costs 500 bucks, 1000 bucks, 2000 bucks. So that could be a good thing to find. We've got a pretty decent amount of people that have, that when they buy machine guns, they'll bring them in and have our gunsmith take a look at them. He has a good amount of experience or two gunsmiths take a look through the gun, make sure everything in there is good and kind of know where they stand on day one. Kind of like taking your car to the mechanic when you buy a, a used car. Uh, so that can be something good to do and make sure you have. And then another common thing too, that I think people don't think about, but is obviously you need a lot of ammo if you're going to shoot it, but magazines, that's another one. Like you will run through a lot of magazines. You're wearing magazines a lot and they have a, a, a certain amount of life. So start thinking about that, sourcing magazines and uh, kind of tracking them to figure out which ones are working and which ones are not. Because if you shoot your gun a lot, you're going to end up with mags that aren't feeding reliably. And when you're shooting full auto, feeding is important. So you'll have to either figure out how to tune those, fix those, or just have a bunch of magazines and rotate the ones out that break. Uh, but some some kind of thoughts to consider in your machine gun ownership path, if you're thinking. Well, and the nice thing too, you know, especially with, with, we'll say three, well, it'd be three out of the four of the big four that we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, I'd say 99.99% of HK magazines and M16 magazines or AR15 magazines, Mac and Uzi magazines that are out there are full auto capable. Yeah. You know, the, the one to watch is the Thompson. Because you can't go and buy a 50 or 100 round drum from auto ordinance today mm-hmm. for your original Thompson. The profile's different and they won't work. So, yeah. you know, those drum mags, you know, where a new one for a semi-auto might be a couple hundred bucks, you might pay $500 a magazine yeah. for a true Thompson drum that's actually capable. And then, like you said, you might have to tune this thing mm-hmm. or springs are going to be due. And then it's finding someone that specializes in that, that you yeah. can get a quality part. You know, I mean, this, this isn't a 1911 that, you know, ah, oh, the factory mag doesn't work. I'm just going to throw a Wilson combat at it. You know, yeah. there's some companies out, you know, some of these guns you can, you know, 16, you know, throw an OKI industry or throw a cold in it. If it goes bad, you buy a magazine and a follower and you yeah, repair that's the, the easiest, mag, right? you know, it's, or it's, it's buy a new mag. Rock. Yeah. So, you know, grab some P mags and, yeah. and rock and roll when it craps out, whatever, toss it in the dumpster and go on or, or mm-hmm. swap some stuff. So definitely something to bear in mind, wear and tear, you know, machine guns remind me of race cars or dirt bikes. You, you, you know, if you're going to run them hard and you're going to play with them and you're going to enjoy them, yeah. there's, there's going to be repairs and there's going to be a cost associated to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't, might not think about that, but that's a, yeah, something to good good to keep in mind if you're planning on joining this lovely world which we would totally recommend any other points you'd like to hit before we wrap up here on machine guns i would like to say if you're if you're on the fence if you're on the fence about it come in and see us we have machine guns for rent yeah come in get behind one of them (laughs) 
And if for some reason you don't leave that range with a smile on your face, you come and tell me. Yeah. And then yeah. we'll make sure we find something that, that you it's walk out fancy. of the range. And yeah. Puts a, puts a smile there where it belongs. And we did kind of gloss over the valuation valuation and investment portion of this. Uh, some people, a good amount of people buy these for investment and another good section of people buy these to shoot and have fun, but also with the knowledge that this gun will hold its value and increase in value. But yeah, there's a limited amount of these guns. Basically, I don't know of any of them that have gone down in value because every year there's only less of them, you know, guns break, get lost, whatever. So we've seen, I think six years ago, we had a couple MP5s that we sold around $35,000. One of them I remember from when we sold it to when the guy picked it up. When he was, came to pick it up, it was worth $5,000 more than when he bought it for nine months before. Yeah. And then now those guns are every bit of probably 50. Oh yeah, those those yeah, the ones that we sold, especially that that two pin mm-hmm. true one that we had. That gun's that gun's got to be pushing sixty thousand now. And so that HK is you know that's a super great place to invest in. You won't see that in most of the other styles, but think think about the Browning bar that we sold in twenty eighteen for twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, that gun's got to be worth forty five now, mm-hmm. if not more. Yeah, you know, so there's. You know, some of these guns, they go up faster than a CD ever will. <laughs> you, know? yeah. you know, if, if just looking for a quick turnout, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely there. Um, I wouldn't say it's as easy to get your money out as a CD is once it, once yeah. it's hit aged, you know, there's a little bit of a wait time and, and finding mm-hmm. that right buyer and securing funds and paperwork and what have you. Um, but you know, if, if the, the spouse is kind of poking you at the rib saying, you know, Hey, we should think about investing. There, there we go. You, go. you can pitch this. You can pitch yeah. this. You know, hey, honey, we got, we're going to get something that we both can enjoy and it'll yeah. be fun. And, you know, hey, if we hold it until the grandkids take it, man, they're going to triple their money on it. Yeah. You know, so. I, I think that's a, it's a good strategy. You know, definitely not your, pri- shouldn't be your primary investment strategy, but it is. Diversify the portfolio. Th- yeah, there we go. We're just giving <laughs> you some points for your pitch when you get there for when you start saving up the money. Well, great. I think we covered everything on our high-level plan here. If you guys have any other additional questions, feel free to reach out. We're happy to talk about this topic. I think this is one one of those you know areas in your job where when it comes up, you get excited. You're like, oh, man, I love this part of it. Even if it's like boring paperwork, but someone comes in with a machine gun question or a gun or is looking for something, everyone wants to go join and talk about that because it's a, just such a fun area. Absolutely. So please, please reach out if you have questions. We're always happy to help. Make sure that if you're if you are thinking of of buying something here, deal with someone that's reputable. Reputable. There we go. It, it, there's some big online dealers that are great. Um, finding someone local that has experience is also great. That's obviously our preference. But stay away from the. I we would recommend you stay away from the weird guy at the gun show that says he has a machine gun you know that's when stuff can get weird because the transfer process is more difficult than a same day gun sale Uh, so that's kind of our final uh words of parting for you thanks for listening in and stay tuned for our future podcasts